Now in Acts chapter number 13, notice with me if you would please in verse number 1. Now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. We sure are grateful for the opportunity to be here in church again tonight. I pray that you'll be with those that are here. May the Spirit of God encourage them, help them, help us as we preach on the subject matter of missions tonight. Lord, I thank you for this church and for their faithfulness to uh, support world missions and evangelization. And Lord, they support a lot of missionaries in different nations and different continents around the globe. And Father, there may be some of those missionaries that are going through a danger. Their life is in deep danger. They're going through severe illness or sickness. And Father, they're facing crisis that we'll not hear about until possibly it's over. And I ask, Lord, that you'll be with them. There may be a missionary on the field that's discouraged that this church supports. I pray, Father, that you'll encourage them. Lord, I would ask you that you'll meet with us this week. Help us to preach the scriptures, uh, preach the book, preach on the subject matter of missions. And may you challenge the church and challenge your own hearts as we study in preparation for this meeting. I'd ask now if there's one here that's lost or one that'll be listening by social media later, that the Holy Ghost of God would use the message, the thoughts, and the text to speak to the hearts of your people. Bless your preachers tonight that are here, and be with those that are sick, and we'll be careful to thank you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, we preached on the Holy Ghost and missions, and then the ministry of the Bible and missions. And tonight I'd like to preach on the subject matter of the ministry of the church in missions. We found that without the Holy Ghost of God, there would be no missions and evangelization. The Bible very <coughs> clearly in our text states that it was the Holy Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost that initiated missions. It was the Holy Ghost that went to the church at Antioch and found the missionaries that, and laid his hand upon them and called them into the work of missions and ministry. We found that they went to the mission field and they preached the word of God. We looked last night uh, throughout the book of Acts and seen on several occasions where the Bible, the word of God is used and how God has used the Bible as the, given it to us as the authority for the work of the ministry and specifically uh, for missionaries on the mission field. It is the most vital, most valuable, most instrumental tool in their toolbox, the Bible, the word of God. Tonight, I want to preach on the ministry of the church and world missions and evangelization. Uh, this church at Antioch is a very important church in the Bible. It's interesting because you have uh, the churches throughout Macedonia. You have the churches at Thessalonica. You have the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, and you have uh, churches throughout uh, Judea, Jerusalem, and so forth, and uh, Samaria in the Bible. But it was the church at Antioch that God specifically chose to lay the foundation and set the principle for world missions and evangelization. And not only to set the principle, God chose the church at Antioch to lay the foundation for sending forth missionaries into the mission field. We find that Antioch was the capital of Syria during both the Seleucid and the Roman era and the imperial rule. 
and Antioch set at a very strategic location, and we find that as a result of that, it was a major connecting point uh, between Egypt, Asia Minor, uh, Greece, Italy, uh, Mesopotamia, and other areas of that region. And so Antioch was a very strategic region. Of course, Corinth was as well, but Antioch more so. And there was a good, solid, thriving church at Antioch, where at Corinth, Paul wrote an entire letter, 1 Corinthians to them, its title, and he deals with issue after issue. In fact, he closes after he opens up with uh, dealing with their pride and their arrogance, their personality conflicts and their abuse of doctrine and the Lord's Supper, suing each other at the law, immorality in the church. I mean, this church had more problems than you could shake a stick at. And then he writes back in, in the closing chapter, and he actually says to them, examine yourselves whether you have the faith or not. And so they were so worldly and so secular that Paul asked them to examine their heart to determine whether they had genuinely been saved and converted by the gospel of Christ. Then he writes them a second letter and gives them some commendations in the text. And then he challenges them, of course, concerning world missions and evangelization. And he uses the churches of Macedonia that were poor and persecuted as an example to that uh, wealthy church there in Corinth. And even in that situation, God chooses the church at Antioch in order to establish world missions and evangelization. In fact, it's, it's a great honor that God would choose any church, as I said last night, to send forth out of the bowels or out of the midst of that church a missionary, an evangelist, or someone into full-time ministry and allow that church the privilege to ordain and to uh, send out and endorse and also to commission men to the ministry that God has called them into. We find that every church has been given the uh, command to fulfill the Great Commission. The role of the local church is fourfold, and there's others, but I'm going to give you four tonight, and then I'll give you three or four thoughts for our message, and we'll be done. It is the responsibility of the local church to raise up missionaries. As I said, back when I was a young preacher, we would go into church after church after church, and it was not unusual, in fact, it was rather common, to be anywhere from a half a dozen to sometimes 8, 10, 12, and even at our church at one time, there were 16 young preacher boys, or men that had been sent out of the church that were between pastoring, that were sitting in our congregation, and I'm thankful for a pastor that God used in a great way to challenge young men to surrender their life to missions and to surrender their life to the gospel ministry and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a responsibility of the local church to raise up men of God, godly women, and families to serve the Lord in full-time capacity for the Lord. Secondly is the responsibility of the local church to train missionaries. I will get into it a little later, but it is not the ministry of a mission board to train and prepare a missionary for missionary service. That should be done before they're sent uh, to the mission field. The preparation should be done in the local church through service and training of the pastor and the church and the staff. And then also they should be the sending out agency and then the financial support of a missionary. Now I want to give you three or four things tonight concerning the ministry of the local church and world missions and evangelization. Uh, first, I want you to know that the local church is the sending agency for missionaries. 
There is no other agency that God has authorized in order to send forth missionaries into the mission field. Notice, if you would please, in Acts chapter number 11, and down verse number 21, specifically in verse number 22, then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and watch this, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And so we find that the church of Jerusalem had initiated by sending uh, Barnabas there to Antioch to assist them in the ministry. And then we find that Barnabas finds uh, Paul and incorporates him into the ministry. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 1 through 3, and notice the opening statement of verse number 1, now there were in the church that was at Antioch. And notice, if you would, that when God wanted to lay the foundation and the principles for world missions and evangelization, he used the living organism, the local church, as the sending agency and the raising up agency, the supplying agency for missionaries, for world missions and evangelization. And I want to say this right up front, lest I get busy preaching and forget, and that is that God never, and I say it again, God never, ever, never goes outside of the local church to call anyone into the gospel ministry. Someone say amen right there. You'll never find in the Bible where God called anyone outside of the church into the ministry and especially world missions and evangelization. If God wants to find a missionary here in this region, he'll not go out on the highways and byways and the hedges. He'll not go over into Resaca and to the little corner store there and where the, uh, the truck stop is and, you know, the little uh, trading, the old general trading store and so forth. Uh, he'll come right here to White Graves Baptist Church. He'll walk through his local churches and those in the area that are sound, and he will choose the cream of the crop in the church and call them into the gospel ministry. God never calls lazy people into the ministry. I tell every candidate that comes through the Rock of Ages ministries, if you don't have a mind and a discipline to work, you're wasting our time and yours by being here this week. When we take a break, it'll be a good time to pack your bags and head on down the road. I'm not trying to be rude, but we don't want anyone that's lazy. Uh, B.R. Lincoln used to say this. He said, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. And I understand rest. And the Bible commands that we are to get rest. But it has a lot to say about slothfulness, laziness, and the man that is a slothful man. And so it is a missionary. Notice the Bible said these men had certain qualifications. God didn't just come in and walk the pews in it randomly like the lottery try to call. Well, I think I'm going to call you and call you and call you and call you. And uh, well, you look lonely back there. I think I'll just consider you as well. No, there were certain people. There were certain qualifications that he was looking for. And I don't want to pin any roses on because I'm a missionary tonight. But I want to say to you that God calls the cream of the crop. Uh, years ago, some preacher said to me, you know, missionaries are just kind of second rate. I said there are men that failed at pastoring or failed at evangelism, and the only option is missions. They can go into an isolated place where no one sees them and no one knows of them and no one knows what's going on, and they can just hide away and do the work of the ministry. I said, that's interesting. So then you're saying the Apostle Paul was a second-rate preacher? That's interesting. You're saying that in the scripture that uh, Peter was a second-rate preacher and uh, James and so on and so forth. They said, well, I didn't mean that. I said, well, that's what you said. God chose the cream of the crop. He went into the church, and the Bible said he considered these five men. 
Now, I'm not going to get into it tonight, but the church at Antioch was an interracial church. These men were from Africa, uh, some throughout from Europe and Asia and different parts and regions. And we find that as he went into the local church, he found five men. Isn't it interesting tonight as you consider this text? that out of the entire membership of that church, and I don't know what the church population was or membership, the Bible doesn't say. I've looked in church history and can't find it. There are some churches that it gives some uh, information. But I want to say this tonight, that out of that church membership and body, there was only five that were considered for world missions and evangelization. And as you consider the matter, someone says, uh, well, I don't believe God would call an African into the ministry or God would call someone from another nationality or culture. Well, that's interesting because some of these were from Africa and others were from different regions. I'm simply saying to you, if a man is converted, he is qualified. If he's serving God and he meets the qualifications, he's qualified to do the work of God. We had a missionary with us for many years. His name was Nixon Quadjo. He was from the country of Uganda. And uh, when we first came across him, uh, Nixon was dedicated, consecrated to the Lord. And uh, he would go and walk three miles every morning with, bu with buckets in his hand. He'd go down to the river and he'd get buckets of water and walk all the way back, three miles back to his home uh, early in the morning, way hours before sunrise. And he'd go take it back and he would uh, give it to his wife so that she could uh, make the meal and wash the dishes and get the kids up and go and wash the clothes for the day. And uh, someone asked him, said, Nixon, did you guys not have running water? He said, oh, yes, we had running water. I ran to the river and got it every morning, ran back to the house. We had running water every day, he said. And uh, he was dedicated, consecrated. I've met foreigners that I would put up against any Americans, including myself, any day. They love God. They sacrifice. They're dedicated. They're consecrated. They're separated. They've got the hand of God and the touch of God on them. And the Lord's used them in a mighty and a wonderful way. And we find that God looked through this church and he found these five that qualified. And yet there were only uh, two of them that he chose. And I've said it before, but I ask you tonight, I wonder if the Holy Ghost of God come looking through White Grace Baptist Church tonight and he began to look for someone that met the qualifications to serve him in this capacity. I wonder if the Lord could seriously consider you in calling you as a missionary or calling you as a young man or a middle-aged man or an older man into the gospel ministry. Or as a young lady, if God would consider you to be a missionary and to serve him in some full-time capacity. And so we find that he went out. We find that he ended up choosing Barnabas and Saul. And the Bible uses it, that phrase uh, in the opening of the text, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. But before you get out of the text and get into chapter number 14, the roles begin to switch. It's no longer Barnabas and Saul for the work we're into, uh, we're into I've called them. It's Paul and Barnabas. And along the way somewhere, God put the uh, searchlight on the apostle Paul and Paul became the prominent figure in world missions and evangelization. And there was contention between him and Barnabas because Barnabas had taken with him John Mark. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here tonight and I'm not putting this as a rock solid concrete sound doctrine tonight, but I find it interesting. You'll find there were five others sent from the church of Jerusalem. I'll not get into it tonight. But they were also sent for the potential of the second missionary journey. In fact, you have uh, Saul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Then you have Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey. And just Paul by 
by himself on the third missionary journey. And I'm just saying to you tonight to say that, that missions is hard work. There was such contention between them that Mark uh, went with Barnabas and Barnabas on the uh, left, of course. John Mark left in the middle of the first trip, really is just getting into the trip. Left and went back. But out of all of them that were sent, you never find. I'm not sitting in rock solid concrete. I don't know. There may be it was and God didn't choose to give it to us. But you'll find in the Bible where these men were sent from the church. They were associated with the church. But you'll never find in the scriptures where John Mark was sent from the church of Jerusalem to work with them or go with them on the mission field. It is implied that Barnabas went out, solicited him, brought him in and made a missionary out of him and he went out. And the only one that the Bible does not record being sent out of a local church is the only one that washed out on the mission field. Somebody say amen. And so we find that these men were there. We find that Paul went out and again he left men on the mission field to oversee the work but on the last missionary endeavor he went by himself. We find that the local church is the only organization that God authorized and gave the authority to commission missionaries and send them out into the mission field. You tonight as a church, I've been in ordination services two years ago, I believe it was. And set under an ordination or a part of an ordination service. And we had the privilege of giving the Bible and the challenge concerning the Bible. In fact, I was with him, just dropped in the other week. I was up there. He said, Brother Ellis, I remember when you gave me my Bible, you made the statement and made me promise before the church and everyone that if I ever changed my doctrine and went back, that I'd give up my ordination. He said, I'll never forget that. And I said, and I meant it too. But it is one of the greatest honors, the greatest privilege of any church that God would find you fit enough to call out of your own membership missionaries and preachers and evangelists into the ministry and young ladies to the mission field. One of the greatest honors. And that God would give you the privilege to lay your hand upon them and endorse them in their ordination. And then God would allow you to commission them and thrust them out and invest your authority in them as they go out into the work of the ministry. An ordination, if I could simplify the whole process, is more an endorsement of the ministry where a commissioning is a laying a hand and a transferal of authority to that individual. And so as we consider the matter of world missions and evangelization, God had chosen the church at Antioch over all the New Testament churches to establish world missions and evangelization. Every local church has that God-given right and that God-given command. The local church that pursues missions is a healthy church, a vibrant church. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we all know this, a passage of Scripture, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and notice he said, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
And so I say tonight in summary, before I give you my second thought, that God has chosen alone the local church to be the authority and the sending agency of a missionary to the mission field. He'll never go outside the church to call someone into the ministry. Never. You won't find it in the scripture. William Carey founded the English Baptist Missionary Society in 1792. It was made up of local pastors and churches that came together to help oversee the outreach and the ministry of missions. And many mission boards and organizations today work and function on that same principle and that same concept. Some years ago, a missionary came to me and said, Brother Ellis, would you guys commission me to go out into missions? I said, absolutely not. They said, why not? I said, we are not a local church. We don't have that authority. We don't have the authority. We do not allow our missionaries because of the type of ministry we are, except in our church planning assistance overseas, uh, where their local church issues the authority to that missionary to baptize and to also serve the Lord's Supper. But uh, we don't allow them to do it. Some years ago, a pastor called. He said, and it's always interesting when a pastor gets upset with the ministry. It's always all of a sudden our missionary. And they call and say, you're a missionary. Wait a minute, they're not our missionary, they're your missionary, they're just serving with us. We're holding them accountable, but they're under your authority. It's not our problem. We'll deal with it on our end, but you're the pastor, you're the sending church, it's your authority to deal with it, not ours. And the pastor said, your missionary is serving the Lord's Supper. I said, he better not be because we can't authorize to give the authority to serve the Lord's Supper. That's a local church ordinance. We're not a local church. That is given to the authority of the local church and the pastor. He said, well, you're a missionary serving the Lord's Supper. I said, I'll deal with it. And come to find out he was using the pastor's uh, service when he served the Lord's Supper. And he was showing the video of the pastor showing the Lord's Supper and doing the Lord's Supper in the prison. And there was a whole conglomeration of prisoners that were coming to the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't endorse that in any shape, form, or fashion. And so I called the preacher. I said, he's using your videos, your service, and he's serving the Lord's Supper. And... We're not going to do it. He said, you deal with him, dismiss him, because uh, we're going to dismiss him and we're going to church him. I said, no problem, and I dealt with him. I tried to get it corrected, and he said, bless God, you ain't going to tell me what to do. I said, you're right. You go down the road, and somebody else can tell you what to do. You're not serving with us. We are not going down that road. We're not standing against the authority of the local church. He pulled out. The next week, the pastor put him on his staff at the church. Just a few weeks later, he called me. He said, Brother Ellis, your missionary split my church. I said, whoa, wait just a minute. And I'm as discreet and kind as I can be to preachers. But I said, you whoa, wait just a minute. He is not my missionary. He wasn't my missionary to start with. He was your missionary. You didn't deal with him. I dismissed him based on your statement as the authority of your church. I honored your authority. And you're the one that brought him onto the staff. It's your problem. You deal with it. He split his church, went down the road and started a church and it went off in doctrine. And uh, I, you say, that was a rock of ages missionary. It was. 
Sometimes missionaries go south and things have to be dealt with, but listen to me tonight. It is the problem or the authority of the local church to deal with those issues. I'm getting ahead of myself tonight, but it's been about four years ago. We had a missionary uh, fly all the way from Samoa. He called and asked. He said, uh, we'd like to become a missionary of the Rock of Ages Ministries. I questioned him on his doctrine and uh, so forth, several things, and our standards and so forth, and everything seemed fine. I said, well, the best thing I can do is I need to call your pastor, talk to him. I'll send you to our uh, department that'll take care of all the application process. We'll screen it, and then you can come in if everything checks out. I called his preacher, and he gave him a rave review. I mean, you would have thought this guy walked on water. I said, okay. He filled out the application, sent it in. Everything looked good. There's one or two small questions, and we questioned him. And I said, brother, you're invited to the classes. Come on. He's paid upwards of uh, just under $7,000 in airline tickets to get him and his wife back and a car rental to come to our missionary candidate classes. The prisons were opening up for him, and he wanted to start going into prison, transition his ministry into prison outreach and evangelism. The first day, the first day we began to interview him, and he lied on his doctrinal statement. Come to find out he was involved in what's known as the pre-wrath uh, rapture, which is nothing more than, and if I don't say the name, you won't know who I'm talking about, Steve Anderson out of Arizona. And it's really nothing more than a mid-tribulation rapture, and the doctrine was all fouled up. And I pulled him aside, very kind to him. I said, brother, I appreciate you and your family and all the money you've spent, you and your wife. But there's absolutely no way you can be a missionary with this ministry. We don't believe what you believe and you don't believe what we believe. You should have put that on your doctrinal statement and been up front with us. I said, now here's what I'm going to do. They'd spent all the money. I said, you're welcome to stay through our classes this week, but it is impossible for you to be a missionary with this ministry. It ain't going to happen. You can stay. We'll feed you. We'll fellowship with you. We'll treat you as kind as anybody else but you cannot come with this ministry. And of course, they got upset, got hurt, and I understand they didn't come back, but I called the preacher. I said, preacher, I don't know if you know it or not, but I, and I laid down, I said, this is what your missionary believes. He said, I know that. I said, excuse me? He said, I know that. I said, then why did you endorse him and send him to us? He said, because I figured y'all could straighten him out. I said, preacher, that's not my responsibility. That's yours. And the pastor threw him under the bus, and the missionary wasted $7,000 for less than two hours of meeting on our ministry's property. I'm just simply saying that the authority is the authority of the local church. We find that in the scriptures that it's a local church that has the right to commission a missionary and to send them directly out in the mission field, or the church can commission them and send them to a mission organization to work with them on the field and to reach out and to do the work of the ministry that God has called them into. In Luke chapter 10 and verse number 2, the Bible says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he had sent forth labors into his harvest. And so it is the responsibility of the church to be the authority and the sending agency, the raising up of missionaries. Secondly, if I could say this, and I'll move quickly tonight, the church is not only the sending agency, and, but it's the supplying agency. I don't have time to go through all of it tonight and look at all the scriptures and texts, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 7 is the foundational text for what we know as faith, promise, missions, or grace giving. 
And we find that the church, God uses, and I teach all of our missionary candidates this. I'm going to go ahead and just give you a summary of it tonight. And uh, there's uh, three or four avenues that God will use to get the missionary support. And, of course, the primary focus is local churches. And our missionaries are only allowed to target independent fundamental Baptist churches. And so I say to them, the local church. That's obvious. It's spelled out, spelled out in Scripture. It's point blank. Secondly, God will use individuals. There'll be family members and others. I remember when we became a missionary, uh, we went down to the bank in Tunnel Hill, Georgia. I don't even remember the name of the bank. Somebody told me a while back. I shared the story, and uh, they told me, I, I think it was First National. I don't remember. But we were just new missionaries. We uh, turned in a two-weeks notice. Uh, I believe it was two weeks after we became missionaries. And um, went out, and I prayed, and I believe God wanted us to buy a motorhome uh, for our family to travel in. But there would and I was talking about living campers and, uh, you know, people in churches that think, oh, man, it's a wonderful life. You camp out every night. You're on vacation every night. Wait till you live in a fifth wheel of travel trailer or motorhome for a few years or months and you crisscross and uh, that thing gets small quick. There were times we stopped at every, I believe we've been in a zoo in every state in the, in the Union. I believe we probably visited half the parks. I'd go one way and Peggy would go the other way with the child. Each of us would meet in the middle. I mean, it gets small in a hurry. But I went to the bank and I said, look, I'm a missionary and I've, really, I've been praying about it. I've, I've stepped out by faith full time and I, I wanted to buy a motor home. And uh, I didn't want a new one. We couldn't afford it. We had $125 a month income coming in. It wasn't because we had support coming. We didn't even have support at that time. We only had... $125 coming in from a piece of property we sold. We bought over in Chatsworth, and uh, we shook hands with a young man that was newly married, needed a place to build a house eventually, and so we didn't charge him interest. Just shook hands, said $125 a month when it's paid for. I'll sign the title deed over to you, and you'll have it. And that's what we started out full-time in the ministry with. I walked into the bank, told him I wanted to buy a motorhome. He said, no problem, Mr. Ellis, fill out a loan application. I filled out the loan application. He looked at it. He scratched his head, and he said, now, wait a minute. Something ain't computing here. He said, you have $450 a month debt. Is that right? I said, yes, sir, that is correct. That's what my monthly payments are. That's not counting food, gas, fuel, you know, things of that nature. I said, $450 a month. He said, now, but you put down, you had $125 a month income. He said, is that reverse? Do you have $125 debt and $450? I said, no, sir. You read it right. $125 income, $450. I'll go. He said, you want us to loan you money? I said, well, sir, I'm not saying you have to loan me money. But I'm saying I've prayed about this. And I know for a fact God wants us to have that motor home. And if you don't give me the money, somebody will. I said, I'm not putting pressure on you. You give it or not. That, he said, there is no way I can submit this to the financial department. He said, they'll ask me to scorn. I said, well, sir, that's fine. I understand. I said, but somebody will give me the loan. And uh, he said, wait a minute. He said, the president of the bank is here. He's made, he makes his rounds on a weekly basis. He just happens to be here this morning. I'll tell you what I'll do, Mr. Ellis. I will take your application back to him and present it directly to him. And whatever he tells me to do with it is what I'll do. He left, went to the, behind the doors, and stayed, seemed like forever. In fact, I was just getting ready to leave, and he happened to come out. He said, Mr. Ellis, I don't understand this. He said, I went back to the president and told him exactly what was going on. You were a missionary. He didn't know what a missionary was. He said, I, and he didn't either. I had to explain to him what a missionary was. He said, I had to explain to him what you told me. 
He said to the president, said, you got to be kidding me. He actually came into our bank with $125 a month, $450 a month in payments and bills, and he's wanting to buy a motorhome and tag on more to his debt. There's no way we can give him that loan. He said, well, that's what I told him, but he was persistent. He said that if we didn't give him the money, somebody would, because God told him that's what he's supposed to do. He turned out and walked out the door. I was, got to the door, and he said, the president said, wait a minute, come back. He said, God told him that? He said, well, that's what he said. I don't know. He said, God told him that, huh? He said, I'll tell you what I will. He said, he's got my curiosity up. Go out there and give him the loan. He said, if he defaults on it, we can sell it and get our money back. He said, I'm curious to find out if God's going to supply his need. And they gave me the loan, and we walked out with our motor home. Had a Dodge 318 in it, and I pray for anybody that has a vehicle with a Dodge 318 in it. We'd go down the road and I'd have the cow vent off and I'd have the choke in just the right spot and Mrs. Ellis would have to lean over it, that hot engine going down the interstate, uh, 65, 70 mile an hour with all that heat blowing up, hold that choke at the right spot. I could tell when she was falling out her job because her engine began to sputter and spit and spew going down the road. And I'd say, move it back, move it back. And God blessed us with that. I'm just simply saying that sometimes God will use individuals to supply the need. We got to our meeting out in Missouri, uh, Jeff City, Missouri, and uh, I went into a, a church and I presented our work on a Sunday morning. And uh, when I got down, a man came up to me. His name was Richard Loesa. Never met him before in my life. And he said to me, Brother Ellis, the Holy Spirit of God has impressed on my wife, Linda, and I and our family to take you and Mrs. Ellis home for five $500 a month for one year to help you get over the hump and get your support. He said, would that be all right? I said, brother, as long as your pastor's okay with it, go for it. I need the support. He said, I talked to my pastor and he said, it's fine. And his preacher confirmed it. Everything was good. And so God gave us $500 a month, the first church, uh, the first service right out from getting the loan. About a year had ended and the phone rang and it was Richard. He said, well, you know, he said, we made a commitment for one year for $500 a month. I said, yes, sir. And I thought, here we go. We're getting ready to lose $500 a month. And we didn't have our support where it needed to be, but thank God it had come up to where it was meeting the needs. And he said, Brother Ellis, we've been praying about it, and the Lord just won't let us drop your support. He said, in fact, the Holy Spirit of God's impressed on our heart. If it's okay with you, sir, we'd like to double your support for the next year, $1,000 a month. He said, and something else the Lord's laid on our heart. He said, we'd like to give you $1,000 a month support, and then we'd like to take all of your bills on and just pay them. If you'll send it, we'll just make the bill payment for you. I said, brother, what a blessing. That's him. That's him. The church and the individuals, God's men, God's people that are faithful. They're the supplying agency. And then there's times that God will use the, are you ready? God will use the unsaved to meet your need. You say, well, bless God, I wouldn't take it. I was going to a meeting years ago, probably 30, 36 years ago, up in um, New Jersey, Leesburg, New Jersey. And I was reading with a, riding with a man, just he and I, and we were going to a meeting, and uh, he was kin to Dolly Parton. He said, Dolly Parton's my aunt. I said, I thought he was kidding. I said, yeah, right. He said, no, I'm dead serious. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no. He said, my last name's Parton. I said, well, I didn't put the two together, but you're right. He said, she sent me a check, a substantial check, 
And I don't know, he didn't tell me how much it was, but he implied it was in the hundreds of thousands. I said, really? He said, yeah, she wrote me a check and told me just to use it for the ministry. I said, brother, what would you do with it? He said, bless God, I sent it back. I told her she could keep her filthy money she got off the entertainment world. I said, you did what? He said, I sent it back. He said, what would you do? He said, I, I said, I'd have spent every penny for the glory of God. He got mad. Man, it was a long trip the rest of the trip into Leesburg, New Jersey. He didn't say a word hardly. He was mad. You say, preacher, would you really? Test me, try me, and see. When Israel came out of the land of Egypt, God allowed them to spoil the Egyptians. They left Egypt with all the necessities they need in the wilderness journey. When Paul was stranded on the island, the Bible said they were a barbarous people and they came out and Paul preached to them and many of them were converted to Christ. But when they got ready to leave, the whole city came out and the Bible very, uses, very clearly uses this phrase, and they laden us with such things as were necessary God used the barbarian to supply the needs of the missionary endeavor now, I'm not saying we go out and I'm not implying that we go out soliciting it but God sometimes will use them I remember years ago our son and daughter their both families actually served with the ministry for a while and our son and Sandra had uh, going out into the Midwest, and they were in, in the state of um, Salt Lake, or in the Salt Lake City here in Utah. And uh, he called on the phone one day, and he said, Dad, he said, uh, I met a couple, Sandra and I, the other night, and said they were a really nice couple, and we, were, uh, we met them out in, in, in public, restaurants, I don't remember where it was at, and said they invited us to come over, not into their camper, but said they had something they wanted to give us. It was an elderly couple. And so we got to the camper. They had us wait outside, went in, come out, and said, I'm sorry, young man, I don't have what I was going to give you. I'll, if you give me a mailing address, so Randy gave him a prayer card and uh, said they're going to send something. He said, I'm assuming they're going to send me a, a, a pearl of great price, a doctrine of covenants, and uh, the, all the things that go along with the Mormonism, the Book of Mormon, and uh, he said, if you get anything at the ministry, would you let me know? So it was some time later, a month or so, I uh, called and I said, son, you got something mailed. It's a package here and uh, it's from Utah, so I'm assuming it's the one that you referred to. He said, Dad, do you mind opening the package for me? I said, sure. I opened it up and there's a uh, book of Mormons. There was a Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine and Covenant. So the three main books of the Mormon indoctrination and teaching. He said, that's what I thought. I figured that's what it was. They're going to try to convert us to Mormonism. And so we hung up. He called back just a few seconds later. He said, Dad, would you do something for me? I said, sure. I said, what? He said, would you take that Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and Dr. Ke would you just take kind of thumb through them and see if there's anything in it? I said, why, sure. And so I, I don't remember which one it was, but I took, picked it up and I began to fan through it. And all of a sudden, there was something I noticed in one of the pages. So I went back, opened it up, and there was a check for $1,000. He said, that's what I thought. They put a $1,000 check in the middle of the book and thinking that if I read it, I'd find it. But if I didn't, I wouldn't cash it. I wouldn't find it. He said, Dad, what should I do? I said, use it for, to read souls with the gospel. And I've had pastors get mad over that type of stuff. But people come in and give offerings in the offering plate. They don't know if they're witches, Satanists, heathen, barbaric. Right? 
Not not implying we go out and knock on the door and solicit from them, but I'm just simply saying that sometimes, and we know that all the time, God uses a local church to supply the need. Paul references it in the book of Philippians, and I'm having to go through this as a summary. And again, I appreciate your preacher hadn't put me on a time limit, but I want to be sensitive to your time. But we find that God used the local church to supply the apostle Paul's need. They gave according to the necessity and God used individuals to supply the need and then we find that God used the heathen of the unsaved to supply the need sometime along the way. And I'm just simply saying that those are the areas that God will use uh, and help with the supply of the missionary. Uh, very quickly, the church is the sanctifying agency. Notice the Bible says as they ministered to the Lord, and these men were involved in ministry, the Holy Ghost said, and remember it was the Holy Ghost who initiated this, it was the Holy Ghost that came looking. The church at Antioch wasn't looking to send out a missionary. The Holy Ghost of God visited and said, I want these two men to go to the mission field. And the church fasted and prayed, and they felt led of God. The Holy Ghost led them. They sent them out, and it's followed up by the Holy Ghost. So they're being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. And so we find that they, these men were active in ministry. They weren't just pew warmers. Uh, they, set out, they were sent out. They, the church fasted and prayed. And the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so what we find is the church at Antioch, they sanctified, they set these men apart. And that's what sanctification means. It is a coming away from and setting apart to go from to. And the church is the sanctifying agency. When the church sees in the pastor a godly young man or a godly young lady, they should focus on developing that individual to serve God on a full-time basis. The church set the missionaries aside and trained them to do the work. Only God can choose. Only God can send through the local church. Fourthly, they were the supplicating agency. You say, preacher, where do you see that? In Acts 13, verse number 3, Miss Ellis, would you come to the piano for me tonight? When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica said this, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of, God, of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men from all men, for all men have not faith. They were the supplicating agency for the missionary. They didn't just send them out. They fasted and prayed for them. And Paul said even to the church at Thessalonica, Brethren, pray for us. Now I want to say to you tonight, the missionary needs the financial support, but the missionary also needs the prayer. And somebody says, well, which one's the greatest? Been a missionary for almost 38 years now, honestly. And I know from a spiritual perspective, prayer we have of necessity, we need prayer. But we also, the missionary needs finances. Because it's the support that puts the fuel in the tank to get the missionary to his mission field. It's the mission support that allows them to buy the plane tickets and pay for their passports and their um, everything they need for the ministry. It's the support that puts food on the table. It's the support that supplies the Bibles we spoke of last night. It's the support that helps to find a building where the missionary can meet, or it's the support that helps the missionary reestablish a church that is faltering or fumbling. 
the importance of prayer. Let me give this and I'll close tonight. It's been several years ago. I was a missionary chaplain at the Wyoming State Penitentiary in Rollins, Wyoming. Our children had gone with the church. It was not our church. It was a supporting church over in uh, Douglas, Wyoming. In fact, it was the Calvary Baptist Church. And there's a pastor now. He pastors a Frontier Baptist Church in the area. His name is Tim Ricker. He was the youth pastor at Calvary Baptist at the time. And our children, we were very close with the pastor at the time and Brother Ricker and his family. And so uh, they asked if our children, Victoria and Randy, could go with them to the mission field, a mission trip to Mexico to help uh, build a fence and some uh, help with cleaning of the property and building some construction and passing out tracts and helping in Bible school and things of that nature. And so we let our children, Victoria and Randy, go to the mission field with them. And during the week, we obviously prayed for them and prayed that God would use the mission trip to speak to their hearts and use it in their life and have a good impact on them. We woke up, I don't remember the exact day, I believe it was on a Thursday, and Peggy came to me and said, I've got an overwhelming burden that we need to fast and pray for Victoria and Randy today. I said to her, I don't have that burden, but I'll fast and pray with you. We began to fast and pray, and sometime around 2 o'clock or so that afternoon, there was an overwhelming burden that came over my heart and over my soul. I was swept and taken away by the burden for our children. Mrs. Ellis and I spent special time fasting and praying for our children. The pastor that evening called and said, Brother Ellis, <clears throat> I want to share something with you. I don't want you getting it secondhand. I want it to go straight to you from me. He said, we finished all of our mission work that we came to do, and there's a large waterfall, I don't remember the height, 100 and something feet. That's outside of the city where we were working with the missionary, and the kids wanted to go see the waterfall, so we took them on a short excursion to see the falls. He said there was a trail that goes up to the top, and he said they convinced me to let them walk to the top. So he said, I led the way, and we took them to the top. He said it was a safe trail, so there was no danger. But he said where I failed was this. He said some of the Kids walked over and kind of looked over the edge to see the depth of the falls. He said, your daughter Victoria walked up and he said, there was a big tree there over the side and said, she just kind of put her hand and went to lean on and said, when she did, we saw the tree start to move slowly to go over the cliff. He said, we ran up and reached out to three of us and grabbed your daughter and pulled her back to shore just as that tree went over the falls. He said, Brother Ellis, she was within seconds of plunging to her death. I said, Preacher, can you tell me what time that was? And when we calculated the time difference, it was exactly around 2 o'clock when God overwhelmingly swept over our souls with a burden. Do you pray for your missionaries? I'm not going to do it tonight. But if I were to ask you to take pen and paper and write every missionary you support on a piece of paper, would you do it? If I ask you to write every missionary's name and then write just the field they serve on, would you pass the test? I believe one of the greatest areas that churches are failing missionaries is in our prayer life. I often pray, even as I did tonight, 
If there is a missionary on the field, their life's in danger. Two missionaries, I said, tonight's been killed in the Middle East in the last year. One executed in front of his wife and children. He fell over in his wife's lap, shot in the head. And tragedy will strike. And it'll be over before it reaches us at home. Let us commit tonight, as a church, to be the sending agency, the supplying agency, the sanctifying agency, and the supplicating agency on behalf of world missions and evangelization.